Hello, welcome to Dissecting a Frog, a podcast about writing, performing and producing comedy. This is presented by Comedy Victoria and I'm your host, Luke Morris. This is our first episode, so what it is, is a series about working in the comedy industry basically. You can do improv, you can be a producer, you can work in marketing, you can do emceeing comedy, you can do writing for those big acts you see on television and on stage and even screen. How do we go about all of doing those things? Well, here we go, this is the series to help you. Uh, To start off the series, I've got a friend of mine, Danny McGinley. He's spent 20 years working in radio, on television, across the comedy club circuit around Australia and internationally. He is a friend, so as he pointed out to me after the recording, we crossed into football teams and movies we've seen on occasion because the conversation could go anywhere. But it was great because he gave some terrific insights not just in about being a professional stand-up, but also about being an MC and just working in the industry and having longevity in the industry and how it has changed. So here we go with the first episode. And because we're mates, I just explained to him before we started what the name of the show was and his, this was his reaction to the name Dissecting a Frog. Oh, cool. That's a good name. That's yeah. uh there's a great book called that about comedy writing, yep. and uh, there's a bloke uh, up in Sydney called uh, Dom Romeo, and he, during this couple of comedy festivals, he did this course, sort of like a comedy appreciation course called Dissecting the Frog. So it's a ah. good name. Um, but you okay? Let's go. Let's go with the boring questions first. Go. Um, how did you get? Why, why, why comedy, mate? Why did you get into the industry? Because uh, I'm a narcissist and <laughs> with a massive ego and uh, I wasn't, uh, due to my severe asthma, I couldn't be the athletic guy no matter how much I wanted that to be the case. You have so, asthma? Yeah, I got, I got it bad. I've had it my whole life. I take, uh, I take serified, serotide 250 every day. There's a lot of competitiveness in the asthma world, so I'm just... <laughs> Putting out my bona fides in case any other uh, any other uh, lung suckers can't, you know, they're going. Oh yeah, let's see. How, you know, no, I'm, yeah, twice a day on the steroids. It seems um, like it's a, it actually feels like an industry that wouldn't help because you know there's a lot of uh, you've got to talk a lot and there's also a little a, a, a bit of stress on stage and I don't yeah. think either of those things help. Yeah, well, this is why I look fifty when I'm still thirty nine, <laughs> but. Uh, it's uh so yeah and i just uh i, I don't know i just liked being center of attention i was yeah. good at telling jokes i noticed uh when you were the funny one at school you didn't get uh you didn't get bullied as much uh and even like i i remember because i got i got an older brother and i could make his friends laugh and so uh you know there was a lot of and then you had the uh, admiration know, of your elders. Admiration yeah. of the elders. And also that got you a bit, because I went to a pretty rough school. Yeah. Um, there was, it, it got you, it almost bought you some protection rights. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In that, you know, if any older kids wanted to try and steal your lunch money, you'd just go, yeah, I could just go up to some of my brother's mates who are older than the bully yeah. and just go, hey, he's hassling me. And they go, nah, nah, you don't. And then they, they'd belt the crap out of him. So yeah. it was, I, I guess, almost a survival tactic, I guess. I suppose that's where comedy comes from to start off with, in a sense, if you, you, as a way to deal with stresses and pains, you laugh at things. Totally. Well, I mean, if you want to get into comedic theory, yeah. uh, the, the, the reason, theory why we laugh, laughter predates um, language, uh, spoken yep. communication. And so they, the theory is, you know, uh, you know we, we would communicate through screams and laughter was... So if, you know, you and I are... are um, Hunter gatherers, Luke, yeah. and uh, and I, th- uh, and you know, a saber toothed tiger suddenly jumps out, and I go ah to tell you, hey, there's danger. But then say a the saber toothed tiger jumping out caused an avalanche, and then a boulder came and just squashed the saber toothed tiger's head, and it was dead. I could go ha ha ha, and that's my way of telling you danger is no longer there. And that's why jokes always work with sort of tension and release and. Uh, and so there, there is a sort of, oh, there's danger, but now the danger is taken away. 
Cool. Yeah. yeah. Well, I've always thought of, of, I've seen that similarities because it is, yeah, it's a form of grunting, I guess, if, you, if you're taking it back to caveman sort of language, totally. but it's not. But yeah, there's always, um, you. I've read anecdotes in books and things like that. And when it's, there's attention and it's bad, you know, not funny. But as soon as the person, you know, is going into a tension filled environment, but then, you know, they survive. Absolutely. And even uh, simple, you know, uh, playground jokes like, you know, what's the difference between, uh, you know, Prince Charles and a tennis ball? You know, that creates tension because you're going, well, why are these two disparate things <laughs> there? And then, you know, one's heir to the throne, one's thrown to the air. The logic of that takes ah. away the tension. And even that, I mean, that's a terrible joke, but, you know, it, it, that's a relief and you would think about laughing. And this is why um, people want partners who are funny because, on a, on a very lizard brain level, the, the people who make you laugh are constantly taking danger away and make you feel safe on a very yeah. simple level. Yeah, that's that, well, that's true. It shows an ability to create, I guess, to, to find a solution to a problem constantly. Yeah. yeah. And so, yeah. you know, if you're ever in an, in an hour of need, do you, you, you trust don't. a comedian more than a father? No, God, I don't no, know. Don't. <laughs> Call MacGyver. We're just going to be there. Just go. You know, if we get into a catastrophic situation, we're not thinking of solutions. We're thinking about, oh yeah, man, I'm so going to get the moose head for this. <laughs> but at least your partner will be giggling. I suppose that's a good thing in that. <laughs> as the uh, well, it depends on the situation, but uh, you know, as the asteroid descends into Earth, uh, yeah, I'll, I will have them laughing hysterically <laughs> as we all die. A horrible, horrible death. Oh, it's better than anything Bruce Willis could come up with, I reckon. How Did dare you... you? That is one of my favourite films, <laughs> Armageddon. Armageddon's great because I don't, I don't know how nerdy uh, this – I know this is the first episode, but actually, no, it's called Dissecting the Frog. You want to – actually, that is a really interesting study in humour, the, the film Armageddon, because it is a comedy. However – it's a completely deadpan Hollywood comedy. So at no point are they mugging for the camera or, you know, it's playing up how funny it is. But And and the great thing is Bruce Willis, Liv Tyler and Ben Affleck are in a very serious movie. Everyone else is playing in a comedy. <laughs> and it works. And if people don't, re- people go, oh, it's so bad, it's good. No, no. It's written by J.J. Abrams who has proven his bona fides. He knows that he was writing a joke. Even like the first, every time I rewatch it, I realise another hilarious joke. But the first image of Armageddon is the title appears on screen, Armageddon, and then it just blows up for no reason <laughs> to show us this is the sort of movie you're in for. This is, this is stupidity. This, this sounds like, um, it reminds me of Last, Last Action Hero, which was supposed to be like... Supposed to be co- a comedy. comedy. Yeah, it didn't really but work. They tried to play it as a comedy, which it might have been better if they didn't. Yeah, yeah. Well, another great... The, the 90s, had, I mean, this is, of course, my era, but <laughs> there's a film called Demolition Man that I watched as oh, a teenager and thought it was a great funny. action film. But I re-watched it in my tw- late 20s and I was on the floor laughing. It is such a brilliant comedy that I didn't, and but I had no idea when I was a kid. Do you know? Well, I watched BMX Bandits. This is really off topic now, but BMX Bandits is quite funny. Somebody, is it? I've, I've not seen BMX Bandits ever. No, gee, I know. You I don't rich. think my video shop had it. Oh, I might have had it. I might have had it out. I think I rented it like fifteen times. Anyway. Oh. Uh, clearly have looked into comedy a lot have you studied is there anywhere you studied writing or studied Uh, no no I've not had any formal training but I love discussing comedy theory and reading books on it and things like that like uh, I mentioned before the the book Dissecting the Frog uh, but even like comedy writing secrets uh, you know just uh, Zen and the Art of Stand-Up Comedy is my favourite comedy writing book Yep. Um, and that's by a guy called Jay Sankey. I think it's only available on eBay now, but any aspiring comedians should uh, read that cover to cover. It's a great book. What, what did you What did you get out of it? Is it, is it just the how to construct a joke? Because you said earlier, you know, about you had an ability to tell a joke and put a joke together. Is there? Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, <clears throat> I mean, it's sort of instinctive. However, mm-hmm. I think like. You, 
my theory on, you know, people ask, can you teach someone to be funny? I don't think you can teach someone to be funny, but if someone is even slightly funny, you can train that. You yeah. can train. I mean, but the hardest thing is working out why you're funny. And uh, my favorite quote about comedy is I, I listened to a long, in-depth discussion, even before podcasts were a thing, <laughs> uh, with, with Jerry Seinfeld on uh, New York Public Radio. I sort of found a CD of it at, a, at Will Anderson's. Wow. Actually, I was house-sitting Will Anderson's place and just I uh, was going through his CDs because he was on Triple J at the time and I was like, I've never heard of it. But then there was this burnt CD of uh, Jerry Seinfeld discussing comedy for two hours. And my favourite, I would just listened to it and I took down notes. And my favourite quote is, you don't get to decide what's funny about you. The audience will tell you what's funny about you. Oh, that's and depressing. That, it's, <laughs> well, it was a real light bulb moment for me because I remember when I first started doing it, I wanted to be a bit political. I wanted to be a oh, bit right. like uh, your Bill Hicks and style, yeah. you know, tell it how it is sort of guy. And then I realised audiences don't care about what a what a young 20-year-old male thinks about the world. However, <laughs> they how did. things have changed, yeah. Yeah, probably. <laughs> and, uh, and, but we, I would do a bit of political, but then I'd also do, you know, story, growing up with migrant parents and doing my dad's Scottish accent and some dumb voices and retelling those anecdotes. I'd get laughs from that. And that, so yeah. then from that quote, I realised, oh, okay, so if I just tell funny stories from my life and throw in a few dumb accents and things. That's what is funny about me. The audience have told me. So that's what I try and do now. Well, some of that, though, is um, the honesty of you and you're telling a story. Do you want to tell what is unique about you? Like if you just try and tell a joke that anybody could have written, you know, what's the point? Like, yeah. Where's that? But you telling something about your migrant parents and, t- and, telling, and the voices and the things like that, that's from your life. Is that sort of thing the thing that taps into what makes you funny? Yeah, I guess it is. And and the audience can realise that this is your story and they are interested in it. Uh, However, there are some comedians who tell jokes that anyone could tell, but they tell them really well. And they are like... Yeah, you know, for for a really obvious example, Tim Vine just does puns, yep. uh, and yeah, you know, we don't know anything about his actual life. And Tim Vine is hilarious, yeah. uh, but I don't know anything about him. You know, I doubt his. I mean, his truth is he loves puns, and he he he's so rapid fire with them. But even like. Uh, uh, I guess like Lee Mack, uh, I remember seeing him come out for the comedy festival about 20 years ago and he just does observational comedy. I mean, Seinfeld's another one, you know, you just observational, you know, and maybe it sounds anecdotal, but ultimately you don't learn. Well, I do, Lee Mack set 20 years ago, I, I didn't learn anything about him, but I laughed my ass off. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's interesting because um, somebody asked a question about the, the difference with those comedians that are at that professional level and you're professional as well but is there something about the sort of jokes they write or is it this extra dimension of the presentation the delivery is well between, yeah, i mean know, lee mac is can lee mac and tim vine and uh, can clearly sell anything make it funny i mean <laughs> yeah uh there is do you know there's i've heard a lot of dull discussions uh about what's the difference between a comic and a comedian. Oh. And my official, my official uh, st- uh, position is there is none. It's two words meaning the same thing. But I have heard people say that a, uh, something like a comedian tells funny things, but a comic tells things funny. So they, you know, it's, and that could be a difference between, a, I mean, to me, that just sounds like a good writer versus a good performer. Uh, so I guess maybe if you can combine both those things, then you're going to be, you know, an, an absolute hit. Yeah. Well, yeah, I, I remember um, uh, Tony Nippard, for anyone who's very old in the world of uh, Victorian comedy, he used to run the Melbourne Comedy Festival, which morphed into the Melbourne International Comedy Festival. And oh, okay. I had a whole change. And I challenged him. I should him. know this person. I challenged him. Well, he's he's sort of he's sort of forgotten in history because the whole thing changed, and he's not really. He, he, well, he sort of cares, but he doesn't. He's not 
drumming up around it at all and complaining. He's, he's accepted things moved on. But he told me once that um, you got to. He's have... got no place in the comedy community. <laughs> if he's moved on and <laughs> we'll kick him out for that. Oh man, I don't know if you. I don't know if you want me to edit this out. But I once asked you, "What do you call a group of comedians?" And you replied, "A bitch." <laughs> did I say a bitch? Yeah, you did. Yeah. <laughs> You can keep that in. I mean, I wouldn't use such a sexist term no. these days, but yeah, a gripe of comedians. A gripe of comedians. Yeah, no, um, you can leave that in. That's, that's, that's quite good, actually, gripe. It is better. Um, he said you have to have at least two or three things, good writing, good pace in terms of how you deliver it, and good presentation. Yeah. And he, he meant that presentation and pace is indifferent. So there's timing, there's writing, and then there's just you on stage having a presence that if you can if you can have all three of those things, like you appear on stage and, and are funny, you time your jokes really well and the material is actually funny, you've ticked all three boxes. Yeah. I think I would change time then to craft. If you can craft your your jokes or and your your set into a way that ha- works uh, rhythmically and you know the subjects sort of blend into each other well, uh, I think I think I would agree with that completely. It's probably the exact term that that uh, Tony was saying, yeah. uh, but I would use the term craft now. How would you, how well since you mention it? How would you structure a set? I've heard that there are some some comedians have a very firm way of you know you do this then you do this and then you do this. Do you? Yeah, um, well, I get booked to MC mostly due to my style. Do a lot of crowd work and uh, and I'm just energetic and stuff. So I don't get to craft sets so much. It's usually uh, know the first joke you're going to say and if I can open with something topical. Uh, or, or at least strong, punchy, you know, something that's only a couple of lines. Uh, I do that and then go with the flow. Like if they laugh a lot at that, then then I can then I'll try and chat to the crowd and you know see how everyone's going and uh, or acknowledge something in the room. Uh, that can yep. be a way to do it. Um, if I was going to do a headline set, I would. Again, start with yeah, something punchy, easy, uh, anything that's topical. You put at the absolute top. Uh, you know, once you've okay, the first few, you've got to start with a joke. I, I believe that so many acts come out and say, "Hello, how are you?" And then like, I oh, you know, get a round of applause for the MC. And I think all of those things are just they they show fear to the audience. It's like you're you're not willing to give us a you're not showing your neck. Yeah. I think you've got to come out, do a joke first, do it, do a joke, whether it's a funny acknowledgement of something in the room or, uh, or, 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 or an actual, you know, prepared gag that you've got, do that first before you're wasting all the time of, of, of uh, pleasantries, do a joke first. Cause then the audience go, okay, cool. You know yeah. what you're doing. Yeah. Yeah. You're a proper comedian. Then do all the pleasantries that, and play with them. That was something I saw Guy Montgomery refer to it as um, endearing himself to the crowd. He wants to get them to understand that he is funny. What you know, endear himself. That's his first, whatever minute on stage. Yeah, yeah. I would. I'm going to think of a term that's. He is quite endearing, uh, more so than most comics. So I'm not sure if I would endear myself to the crowd. I would say I'm just more. Uh, Body up to them. Show them my tools. I show you uh, tools. No, I just. I'm, I, yeah, show them a tool. Show them that. Yeah, no, look, I know. What, like, it's like a a, you know, a, a tradie walking into your house with with a, with a big bag of tools, just like putting it down. Going, yeah. So you go, okay, cool. Yes, yeah, you're yeah. a professional. You know what you're doing. Yeah. Uh, and then I would try <laughs> the and do the first thing you've done stuff. isn't walk into the house, say hello, and then say, I'll just go back out into the car and get my tools. Well, there, there is. I'm sure there are tradies that do that. Probably come in. How are you? You're good. Oh yeah, that's the job. All right, I'll I'll come back and uh, with my screwdriver. Whereas if you come in with the screwdriver, you you you'd be like, oh yeah, sweet. They know what they're doing. Yeah. 
Sorry, I cut you off. What are we going to say next you, you, after you've... in? Uh, so that I would do, yeah, show your tools within the first 30 seconds if you can, then start playing with them. And, well, if, when you're emceeing, that's when I play with them and see what sort of crowd they're like and do they like to be talked to? Do they? Is there anyone who wants special attention? Is there... Uh, and But then I would do, yeah, strong topical material. Like uh, just in the last festival, I was uh, doing all my COVID gear at the start. Just to um, because COVID's the elephant in the room, we're all yeah. we've all lived through it. Because I found coming to COVID gear later, it just sort of it almost felt weird. It's like because yeah. talking about COVID now is like talking about the weather. It's just a like you know it's 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 a pleasantry. It's a, let's get this stuff out of the way, and then we can get to the real stories. Whereas if you do it later on, it's like well, like it'd be like you know if you're on a date with someone and you know you have discussions about you know important discussions like football and movies and uh, all the really important things. And then they go to the weather. You'd be like, well, why are we, why are we backtracking here? Why are we yeah, backtracking? Yeah, yeah. So I would do that. And then uh, long-form stories towards the end, once you've got their attention and... Uh, they trust you that there's going the... to be something funny. So if you go for a story, there must Absolutely. be something that. Yes, once you've established trust, go for it. And uh, yeah, you. there's a... T- now, God, I... Whenever I'm discussing doing sets, I always think of this term and I and I can never remember the word for it. And the reason for that is I don't know how to Google what this <laughs> is. It's a musical term that I learned. So when you when you play a note, like you know, there's I know that piano means soft, forte means loud, fortissimo means fast, I think. But there's one word for when you play a note, and I can only just do it to you now, but it would be you hit it hard. Go soft and then loud again. And so it'd be like, bup. And I don't know. There is an Italian musical term for that. That is how the end of your set should go. So you get to about, say you're doing a 30-minute set, get to about 15 minutes, have a really big laugh at 15, 16, 17, somewhere around there. Then you can sort of go quiet and start a long story because they're onside. But you also want to give them a chance to catch their breath so you can finish really strongly. Because it's not like the audience will go, oh, I didn't laugh for a couple of minutes around the 18-minute mark. No, no, no. If you hit them hard enough at the end, they will think that the whole thing was this epic journey that built up to it, even though it was more like a roller coaster. There was some, there was some quiet bits as well. That's how I structure a set. That's interesting. So you're really timing it out, like I've uh, got you know, five minutes to Trying do this. Trying to, yeah. And on the cuff as well, on stage, do, 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 you, write, do you write stuff down? Is, is all your material written? Uh, it's more point form. Yep. Um, I will, when I, when I come up with the concept of a joke, I'll write down concept and usually like, usually the concept for a joke, you've got a punchline. So I'll write down that punchline word perfect and then I'll trial it. And then once it's established and in the set, I just write it down in like usually one or maybe two words point form. But occasionally I do forget what it is and I have to sort of go over my notes and then I might just write out uh, a couple of lines just as a point of reference in my notebook. But I don't tend to write out word perfect what uh, my jokes are because that doesn't work. My hand is slower than my brain, so I... (laughs) if I'm trying to write down everything my my brain just gets frustrated and and doesn't doesn't come up with the next joke fast enough so no I tend to my jokes tend to be written down in dot form but when I write a festival show I will write it out word perfect just to get to also learn the lines I I want to oh where do I go next I'm going to go back a sec this is this might sound like a backhanded compliment I see you at clubs and them seeing and things, and you, you've got great jokes, and they're they're, sh- they're sort of short, and and that because you you just warm in the crowd to get somebody else on. But seeing you do shows, you actually write out some really full. There's a narrative story to your show, like um, was it Schoolies show had a full muck up day, muck up day that had a full story arc muck up day, involved yes. in it. Um, you had the one about you you learning to learning Ukraine Ukrainian for uh, yes for learning. learning Ukrainian yeah I've yeah. done I what are, the way I I mean I, I try to do one story show uh, so I ideally I want to do every second festival run I think trying to do a comedy festival run every year is not uh, I won't be as I'll I'll do 
Yeah, I can write 20 minutes of very, very good material a year. Uh, the rest would be okay, and I don't want to shortchange the audience. Uh, so I'd rather do a f- comedy festival every second year. And of those every second year, I'll do one show of just normal stand-up, no real theme or anything. There's nothing. I'm just These are the jokes I thought of. Yeah. And then every second time I'll do a story. Like next year, the last comedy festival I did, I mean, COVID's made it all weird, but that was just stand-up. It was called Up and About, a very generic name. The next show I do will be one story, uh, you know, with 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 jokes all the way through, obviously. But uh, <clears throat> but yeah, they're, they're more satisfying the one the one story ones. Yeah. Uh, so this this so I'm, <clears throat> the one that'll be out next year. The working title is Hard Nut because uh, one of my testicles really ruined my vasectomy. Uh, oh wow! By being extremely hard to get into, so a ten-minute procedure became a two-hour ordeal. Oh! And, uh, it wasn't fun at the time, but now it's been long enough that I can get how funny it is. <laughs> Cycles back to what we started off with when you're surviving an ordeal and you can laugh at it. So, how do you choose yeah, those eventually. topics? <laughs> yeah. How do you choose those topics? Uh, this is where yeah, you get that, that, that question of where's the inspiration from, but specifically for going long term i I guess guess just okay so the last long form show i i mean actually it's it's usually just what's an experience that i know people are interested in and they might not have lived themselves so going over my last few story shows the last one i did well i did write one for the 2020 festivals but i obviously got cancelled and i've sort of shelved that show because it was about my honeymoon to chernobyl uh, which was a great day, and, and and the TV show Chernobyl had just come out, so it was a a, a good, I thought, a good subject for um, that people be interested in. Since the pandemic, I've thought you know a show about a nuclear disaster is probably not going to be <laughs> accepted. You know, not, it's not the time. It's not the time. I'll tell that story some other time. Uh, the one before that was about how I was working for the Western Bulldogs, uh, riding the banners that people run through, and we won the grand final. And just yep. that, how that roller coaster all happened and how it went through. The one before that was Muck Up Day. For for anyone who doesn't know what Muck Up Day is, it's the last day of high school where you pull pranks. And myself and my best friend from high school, we took it a bit too far and uh, ended up putting a teacher in hospital and got uh, arrested. So, yeah, that was that was that fun. Was fun. Yeah. And the one before that was about yeah. <laughs> the one before that was about learning the Ukrainian language just before I got married. So yeah, I guess I choose them from things that don't happen to everyone. Yeah, that I can you know the sort of thing that like if I wasn't a stand up, still if I saw my mate down the pub, I'd be like, hey, get this, you won't believe what happened to me. Yeah, and then yeah, so and then yeah, this one about a vasectomy going wrong is uh, I don't I don't think that's happened to many people and uh, and yeah, it, it's I'm going to market it probably as uh, it's got you know working title is hard hard nut a true horror story because <laughs> every oh. every my my dream is every bloke will be like oh, I'm not sure if I want to see that and every woman will be like dickhead I gave birth you're going to sit through this. <laughs> Well, I love that because um, it's also a horror story. There's not too many comedians out there dealing with the horror of genre market. There's got to be plenty of people out there who are keen for that. No. Crossover. But, uh, Bob Franklin does uh, does some great horror work. Does he? I don't think I've seen I've, He does, yeah. He's actually yeah. written a couple of horror novels. Um, oh, he wow. had a, a running character for a while of Sir Robert who is um, – who, well, I don't know if he's oh. dead in every show, but he was definitely dead in a couple of them, and he's playing the ghost of Sir Robert. Ah, I'd never actually got to see his show. I kept writing him down to go and see, but uh, clashes and things like that, I didn't go and see Sir Robert. I just well, I just saw I, that I as a man smoking if you, if a pipe. If you like horror. That would be fun. But Yeah, well, it's a dead man smoking a pipe. <laughs> um, storytelling is about education. I, I wrote that note down because that you were, what you were telling me reminded me of, yeah, why do we tell stories? And historically it's about, you know, t- uh, telling history stories and educating people on the past. And it's all built around campfire kind of things. But innately yeah. as, a, as, a, as a human being, we, we want to hear those stories where we can learn something from it and learning about other people's experiences yeah, maybe. Is, is crucial. 
Yeah, I guess that, well, that would be hopefully why the audience would come see these shows. Um, I certainly don't think, I don't think of it that way of, oh, everyone should learn from this show. No, no. The reason I do storytelling shows, and it goes back to what we mentioned earlier, audiences tell you what's funny about you. And I learned that my storytelling uh, was what audiences liked. So that's Mm -hmm. why I do it. There's no... Uh, there's no uh, higher meaning to it of uh, I'm carrying on traditions. No, no. <laughs> it's just that uh, this is a way to sell tickets. <laughs> so what, how long did it take you to find out that that's what audiences find funny about you? Or when did you really notice it? Well, you said you noticed it from the, the oh, reactions. But years. It, it, years. So you just keep going to gigs until Yeah, probably can... I'd say about. Yeah, there was one particular show I did, which was about a. Uh, it was a, about a backpacking trip I did through the United States with a mate, and I actually first wrote it as a show about American history because I studied American history at high school. It's my, I think it's one of the more interesting histories, just because it's so. Uh, you know, it was it was built on such ideals, but they all had such different ideals that then they clashed, and then they. The war of you know, and then they, and the British lose in it. So of course that, that appeals <laughs> to my prejudices. So uh, anyway, the show I wrote was about American history and uh, you know the, the revolution and uh, uh, and things like that. But then when I was doing, and it was interspersed with a couple of anecdotes from the backpacking trip, and I realised in that season, people were laughing so much more at the backpacking anecdotes than they were the, hey, look at this, I'm doing an interesting take on history. And that is ultimately where I learnt. No one comes to your shows to to learn about anything. They just want to hear you and, you know, they they are enjoying the story of you sneaking into the VIP area of a nightclub and getting drunk with Fergie from the Black Eyed Peas as well (laughs) and then uh, her... and that that show ended with a story about yeah me and Fergie's mum. Uh, and the reason I was in the VIP area is I'd convinced them that I was Andy Circus from Lord of the Rings uh, oh. because no one knew who Andy Cer- what Andy Circus looked like and no yeah. one had smartphones to just Google it. So I was just pretending that I played Gollum, and, and it got to the point where uh, Andy uh, Lord Fergie's mum went back to her hotel room, came back with this hardback, really fancy edition of Lord of the Rings because oh she was a massive God. fan and she asked me to sign it. Oh. And I'm sorry to say that I desecrated her book <laughs> by putting a fake signature. <laughs> oh, nice. Yeah, they laugh more at that than my uh, my take on the Civil War. <laughs> <laughs> The audience, though, we talked about the audience. They, they love that take on, on that story. Uh, we talked about the need to listen to the audience once. And yes. I think that's that's a key thing um, in terms of you picked up and you, you were responsive to what they wanted because the, the audience yeah, well, is what, the audience is our editor, I think, is, is something that we, 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 we talked yeah. about once. You've got to listen to them. Well, it's it's your yeah, it's your job to make them laugh. I mean, I always, I mean, I mentioned this before being a, a trade. I, I don't, I think comedy is a trade yep. in that you, and, and by that I don't mean a swap. I mean a trade like a yeah. electrician, a carpenter, plumber. Your job, you get hired to go to a room to make that group of people laugh, in the same way that a carpenter is built to is is hired to build something out of wood you've got to build laughter out of them and it is if you don't make them laugh you have failed at your job so it's i I get so annoyed and you know thankfully i'm at the stage where none of my colleagues do this but i remember uh early days of comedy like you know being four years in and you know when you're semi-pro and some of your friends are semi-pro and you'd hear them do gigs and bomb and then they go well that crowd weren't very intelligent it's like no you have to make them laugh, no matter what intelligence level they are. You can, like, can you imagine a mechanic saying, well, I couldn't fix your carburetor because I'm too smart for it? It's just, it's just completely unacceptable. Your job is to make them laugh. So you've got to listen. You've got to work out what does make them laugh because if you that, don't, you're just selfish. Is that the difficulty of doing 
different rooms though. Like someone who says, totally. "Well, they weren't they weren't very intelligent." Maybe uh, I, I'm not going to give them any real uh, votes or encouragement for saying that. But uh, do they think that oh, I do gigs in really highbrow rooms, and these people aren't highbrow, and yeah. therefore that's their fault? Yes. It's- yeah, yeah, absolutely. So this is uh, this that was a direct quote from a comedian on Roadshow when we were in like uh, regional West Australia. And they were there bombing, you know, doing and go, well, <laughs> these country hicks don't don't really get it. It's like, well, those country hicks are paying money, so they deserve laughter, not none of your selfish crap. <laughs> so is that a question that of being... That person doesn't do stand-up anymore. <laughs> is, 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 that a, is that a question then of saying, if you're going to do this as an industry thing, you have to be able to uh, not just write one type of joke. You you need to be able. To... I think so. Yeah, when, I remember when I f- I first started with Charlie Pickering. We 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 both started did our first gigs around the same time, and we've been great mates uh, ever since. And so I remember when we were baby comics, like you know, first year apprentices. Ultimately, to use another trade um, uh, analogy, um, we would talk about our dreams of what we want to do with comedy. And one thing that we always talked about is how important it was to be able to do any room that you're putting. Yeah. Like, and I'd like to I'd like to stake my hat on that if you put me on at the Athenaeum Theatre in front of the Wheeler Centre artsy crowd, I can make them laugh. And so and I you could put me in front of the Frankston Footy Club after they've lost by ten goals and I'll do my best. <laughs> I'd, I'd I'd take pride in the fact that I, I think I can do both of those rooms. Is that because you do you think that's the the material you've written, or is that because you change what you've? Oh, I do different material. Yeah, <laughs> and I do very different crowd work. It would be a lot of. Uh, I mean, if I was booked to do both those gigs in one night, I probably wouldn't do the same set. I would do very different stuff. Uh, in that, I'd probably do do a highbrow story for the Wheeler Centre because they're an artsy crowd who would probably enjoy uh, an anecdote. Yeah. Uh, whereas Frank's Footy Club, I would, uh, if they'd lost by 10 goals, uh, you've got to go on the front foot with that and just start uh, accusing. You, <laughs> what I do with footy clubs, it's a bit like prison. Go in and say, uh, so who's the toughest bloke who should I not make fun of? And then they say, oh, yeah, don't make fun of Macca. I'll just get up there. Hey, Macca, I hear you played like shit today. <laughs> Uh, straight in so you... straight in I mean you know and then Will Smith will uh, come up and slap me <laughs> but you said you reckon if you're in a Nazi center crowd you want to do your highbrow material but I guess yeah I don't oh, maybe it's a different crowd because we did a gig at um, Piano Bar in Bendigo I, I oh was, yes that gig I was chatting to someone afterwards about because um, uh, Nikki Barry got up and did a pretty dirty routine. She did extremely well. The crowd was all on board, so she went full with the, what the audience was was enjoying. But I knew that that crowd was also, you know, they were having nice tapas with their meals and drinking wines, and you know, they were. It was what you might call that higher brow, essentially. Ah yes, but Audience. that's highbrow who are having some wine and tapas in a in a uh, cabaret seating setting. Yeah. However, I, I was talking about doing the Wheeler Centre at the Athenaeum, so that's a theatre crowd sitting in a formal theatre. So yeah. that's why I would do an anecdote. However, you're exactly right, but this is what goes back to reading the crowd, reading yeah. the room, uh, you know, f- placing their mood. So yeah, they're, they're having wines and stuff. And yes, I do remember that gig. Um, uh, I remember my vasectomy stuff uh, did very well. Yeah, yeah, but so, that was yeah, it. That... I, I thought, oh, is that just because I was showing to someone afterwards, thinking that it is it because you, if you're taking a highbrow sort of people, they actually want a bit of smart. They don't want to sometimes. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you can never tell. That's why you got to get up you're there and get just sort of play out. around. Yeah, yeah. Fire off a few salvos and have some things. And how much material would you say you have in order to be able to adapt to rooms? Oh, um, well, <laughs> this is why I'm thankful I've worked so hard on crowd work because this is where you don't really need to have so much material, but you can get it from just the answers you get and the vibe and the 
because I've, I've got a few different tacts with uh, with crowd work. You know, you just go generic questions like, is anyone not is anyone from out of town? Is anyone not from here? But then if they're not giving you any answers, then then you can play with that. You know, just go, oh, you're all in uh, witness protection. You're all, you know, you're all in the mafia. You don't want to tell me anything. Yep. And then you can, and then, and then like say, or it's going into, you know, COVID can be good for that. I can be like, you know, who's had the disease? Who's had it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. What symptoms did you get? And then you can, you can play with all all that sort of things, and then just judging on how much you know from those, you'll you'll vibe what answers they'll they're more comfortable in giving you. So then you tr- kind of just surf the wave from that. Yeah, but that's interesting in terms of you saying that you, you when you're chatting to the audience because you're really friendly and up up with them, but often the audiences are really scared of that they're going to be talked to. And, yeah. and the and the and the statement I hear so often when you're trying to get people to sit down somewhere is I don't want to be picked on. Yeah, yeah, they think that uh, that's because uh, they, they, they see whenever there's stand up comedy in a movie, there's always a heckler and a and a and a you know Will Smith style incident. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So that is why my advice to anyone is is don't don't point to someone in the front row and go, "What's your name? What do you do?" First of all, you never remember their name. And so it's always just never ask their name, you know, what do they do? But no, ask the crowd as a whole. Yeah. Is anyone here from out of town? Is anyone celebrating anything? Is anyone a student? Then the people who are willing to chat will show themselves. And, a, and another a cheap trick that I'll do is I'll go, is anyone here from out of town? Silence. I'll go, oh, okay, sorry. Is anyone here with someone who's from out of town? And then they'll go, <laughs> yeah, yeah, steve yeah. <laughs> They'll dob their mates in, and then and yeah, for some reason that that then I'll start talking to Steve O, and uh, and they'll yeah they'll they'll they're usually because their mates dobbed them in. It's not me attacking them. They've been pushed into the spotlight. Then you can get a little bit more out of them that way. That's a great tactic. Thank you. Uh, no, I love that because that really does open it up. Because and then again, that's you just giving the audience a bit of power. Yeah, it's yeah, not it's, it's uh, not about what you want to say or what you had planned to say. It's what they're willing to give you. Yeah, and 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 the audience picks up on that. They go, okay, look, he's he doesn't know what's happening next, and then and that's why crowd, crowd work is rarely that funny, but it's magical. It's live. It's real. Yeah. It's in the room. You know, you can't recreate that story. That's why I always get annoyed, and I do it a bit. But people who comedians who do they tell you about their crowd work as part of their set. Oh, I was saying this to someone the other night and someone said, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, mate, we're not in that room. That would have been funny if we had that <laughs> organically in the room, but it doesn't work here. And also, I mean, this is, this is really nitpicking comedy theory, but I don't like it when comedians say, I told that joke the other night and this happened because even though we all know it's not true, you should carry on the facade as much as possible that you are making all of this up on the spot. This is just, you've never said these words before. This is mad. This is just for the audience in front of you. It, we all know it's not true, but we should all pretend. So, yeah. Okay. So if you're trying to tell a nervous story, always act nervous. Or if you're trying to tell a fun story always act in that way because that's that the that's the vibe that the piece was written in. that gets back to the writing i guess and i guess so acting yeah. to mean, the, the acting to the um to the script or to yeah, the character I mean, the audience feels what you feel so if i always try to i wouldn't be nervous on stage i mean but it, it's more uh it's more uh, i'll get this you won't but i was so nervous because what a dickhead i am blah 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 story yeah. Always, you always want to be reassuring them that uh, that that you know you're you're comfortable telling this story and you're and you're in charge. You know, yeah. you you've brought your tools. You can fix this. <laughs> Good work. Right. Um, I think we have to wrap up because I've I've run out of time <laughs> with you. But um, I think I'd love to chat to you again in the future because sure. there's so much we didn't cover, and um, I didn't realize that you studied you you studied so much into this with reading so many books and doing looking at the history and things oh only about only about <laughs> over the course of a 20-year career i reckon i've read one book every two years so well, don't don't well that's okay one thing i did write down okay i'm just going to ask you this last question and we get on to this what um how has comedy changed over 20 years yeah 
It's, uh, it, well, when I first started, it was very blokey and pubby. Uh, you had the Espy, the Armadale, Star and Garter, and it was just sort of, it was, you did have female comedians, absolutely, but uh, not as many. Now it's a bit more, you know, it's definitely more inclusive and uh, and audiences are fine with that. You know, there's, there's, it's very rare that you will get someone going, oh, women aren't funny. Like that is, that's, that snore fest was surely put to, to, put to bed 15 years ago. Uh, so there's a lot more difference in stuff. Uh, it's definitely a bit more conservative as well from that. Audiences will bristle at certain words, like we talked about, you know, the ter- you know, using the term gripe over the term bitch yeah. because, you know, bitch can be offensive. And I guess audiences are a bit more, uh, there's a, probably a better word than entitled, but they feel confident in speaking up about things they don't like. Yep. So I guess a bit more discerning uh, would be there. And, you know, if they're, they're offended by a joke that I've said, I certainly don't go out of my way to offend anybody. If anyone's offended by a joke that I've said and they want to tell me about it, I'll, I'll, I'll absolutely read the complaint letter and, uh, and mull up whether it's worthy or not. Yep. Um, so I would say, yeah, it's more inclusive, it's more conservative and it's... Is that harder then to be, if it's more conservative? Yeah, totally. But, you know, you've got to adapt. You know, yeah, there's no point griping about it and stuff. Um, Luke, you and I know each other personally. Uh, we, we, we are both uh, big fans of uh, association football. Yes. I'm going I'm to give you a quote from someone that will absolutely not surprise you that is one of, uh, that I'm quoting him, Ange Postacoglu, <laughs> Socceroos coach. He's one of my favourite humans on earth. And this is my – I just heard this quote from him during the year and I wrote it down uh, – I hate whinging and complaining, mate. You know what? There's a solution for everything. And if there isn't a solution, then just get on with it. And so, yeah, comedy has got harder through being more conservative. But what's griping about it going to achieve? So, yeah, there's a solution. Work harder. Make your jokes more accessible. Be like that. Uh, One other thing that's changed is I think it's become less of a meritocracy. It used to be if you were the funniest person on the night, you would get... um, you would you would probably you know become the headliner or uh, and become you know get get on TV radio things like that. Whereas these days uh, it's you know at the risk of sounding like a right wing old fuddy duddy, there is there is definitely quotas. Like I've I've been told you know we'd get you on this TV show, but we have our white males, so yep. we're not going to you know they they have they have quotas. So and this uh, you know doesn't put the funniest people on TV and it also it can be detrimental to uh, you know young you know say you had a left-handed one-legged uh, comedian of color you know and, and you want to have a you know, left-handed one-legged comedian of color on which is great absolutely that we should have more diverse voices but if that one-legged left-handed comedian of color has only done a handful of gigs and you're putting them in the spotlights yeah and uh, when before they're ready that's detrimental to them as well so i don't i'm not a huge fan of quotas i get why they're there and i and i and i they're there with the best of intentions but i'm not sure they work all the time i think we, I think, I would like to think society could survive if there was a say there was a lineup of all women and they happened to all be white. I'd like to think we would get to the point in society soon where we we're like, okay, cool, this is just who they've booked. Whereas, you know, of course, that's coming from a place of absolute white privilege. I don't know where that, well, but that's just where I see it. At yeah, the yeah. Well, as somebody books um, gigs. Um, I know that's like when you're sort of like trying to give um, more diversity a run on stages, but you also want to be, you want to book the best acts yeah. as well. Yep. And I've had this discussion with plenty of people where we sometimes, you, to what you're, you're talking about, does somebody get an opportunity because they feel a quota or do they get, and do they deserve to be there? And we always look at ourselves and then scratch our heads and think, well, we always book people we think are funny as well. Thankfully, there's enough. I think that's that's the beautiful thing, like you're saying, times have changed enough that there's actually quite a few people out there who are good. Yeah, absolutely. And, and something that to... we I've never had to think about is, am I on this lineup as a quota or yeah. am I up here because I've earned it? Yeah. And that's something, I, that's my, again, my privilege. I've never had to think yeah. about that. Uh, 
However, yeah, I don't know what the answer is. I'm not a promoter and I'm gladly, I would hate to be a promoter because it's an absolutely thankless job and and the people who do it well are are worth their weight in gold. And I think you're one of those, Luke. So please keep organising gigs. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, and I just, I guess... I guess to go back to Angela's thing of it's very easy to to gripe about the lack of diversity on a lineup. It's even harder to book a decent lineup because mm. you know, they, as you say, those the comedians who do fill quotas who are amazing, they, they get snapped up very quickly. There's yeah. <laughs> nothing, you know. It's often, yeah, yeah. I think we got to give each other a bit of uh, a bit of slack and uh, and you know, okay, yeah. Look, there's a. This lineup is all white women. Oh well, I still I laugh my ass off. Yeah, yeah. You know, the job was done. These yeah. tradies did their job. Yeah. So what am I complaining about? Yeah. Yes, I've I've, I've, had, I've heard those complaints. No, I just I just remember somebody laughing. I, I saw them the whole show through, laughing, 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 and then leaving the show saying, "No, oh, I probably want to go again." It's like, what? Oh. We filled right. the goal. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I shouldn't end on that note, but we do have to wrap up. I'll edit well, myself like, out. Maybe, maybe it's like a, a, a dentist. Like, you know, they just they have their laughter and then they don't have to go back for six months. Oh, gosh. That's not fun. That's not a good outlook on life. You got well, to... is, well, you want to go to the dentist every day? All right, uh, sure. Uh, have you seen Jorgen Klopp's teeth this morning? Oh, as oh, white as white. Oh, they are very fake teeth. Have you watched that doco, um, The End of the Storm, which is about Liverpool finally winning the league after 30 years? No. Yeah, clearly he got the teeth uh, after that season because they've got footage of him talking to the the crowd, uh, you know, the players, and he's got, you know, normal European teeth. (laughs) And then it goes to the interviews being done and he just looks American as with the white, yeah, mighty whiteies. It's worth a look just for that. <laughs> well, there's there's some homework to go and do. All right. Let's tidy this up and have some lunch. I'm off. Sure. Right. <laughs> Thank you for listening to Dissecting a Frog, presented by Comedy Victoria. To hear about upcoming gigs and opportunities, become a member. Visit the website comedyvictoria.com.au and follow on social media at Comedy Vic. You can track down myself, Luke Morris, at Luke Morris Ha. And remember, as E.B. and Catherine White wrote, humour can be dissected as a frog can, but the thing dies in the process. <laughs>